0: Radio Theater in the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what
1: our call letters WGN stand for, awesome. Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. A special three hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf.
2: That's us, Lisa Wolf. I'm here, Carl. Wow, it is about seven minutes after 11 p.m. here. On the WGN Radio Theater, we're here every Saturday and Sunday, beginning at 11 o'clock. Although, tomorrow night, Lisa... We will have a late start, starting at midnight. We'll be on one hour tomorrow, and we'll play a Boston Blackie episode.
3: But it's going to be a great episode, and it'll still be a great show, just a little bit shorter.
2: That's right. Well, we will be on three hours tonight. We're going to listen to The Adventures of Maisie, starring Anne Southern. This was a very popular character she played in the movies, and then it made a transition to radio. We have an episode for you from 1950. Then Raymond Burr stars, and a good western adventure of fort laramie and then a show that i'm not sure if we've ever played before on the wgn radio theater it's called somebody knows and i'll tell you all about it it's um It was a a true stories of crime. These were unsolved mysteries, okay, unsolved murder cases, and they would dramatize it on radio. And uh, the whole idea was that somebody listening Mm -hmm. knows... What happened?
3: Like somebody knows.
2: Exactly. You are sharp. <laughs> oh, I
3: know. You know that? I'm on it.
2: I don't care what anyone else says. You're sharp.
3: <laughs> yep. <I'm> and, good. <laughs> and they
2: were. Uh, they would give away a lot of money. I think it was like five thousand dollars or something. And you know, talking about 1950, that was a lot of money. That's a
3: lot of money today I, for some of I us. I know that.
2: But what I'm saying is, back then it was probably worth like you know seventy five thousand dollars today. And you never even had to, all you had to do was turn the person in who did the murder, you know, anonymously. And you would, uh, they would, you know, somehow get you the money. I don't know. They talk about it on the show.
3: Via the internet, I'm sure. (laughs) Via
2: the internet. Yeah, Yeah, Al Gore wasn't even around back then, though. He couldn't have invented the internet. But, uh, yeah, really interesting series. We have it for you also tonight. So three half-hour shows on our program number 439. Here on the WGN Radio Theater, but first we're going to play our game. Cat's Pride, guess, guess that, that song. song.
3: These songs tonight will all be from 1966. Oh wow! Yeah, so we're going a little I was ways back. Three
2: years, but old. you
3: were going. You were three.
2: 1966. Oh, yeah. you were. Yeah. But
3: these are very well known. You were what?
2: 1920.
3: It was, um, yeah, in my 20s back then. These are really well-known songs. I feel really good that you're going to know them. I know I I say that every time. We have a very special prize the first hour. We are going to be giving away a pair of tickets for a private screening of a movie called Foster Boy, which is on Thursday, December 12th at Wilmette Theater. Okay. So if you can make that, call in. We're looking for caller number six. You can call right now at 312-981-7200, and we'll be right back.
1: Guess that song.
3: We're going to do that. We're going to guess that song. The songs are from 1966. Looks like we lost our caller, but that's okay. Um they can call back if they want. If not, Carl, it's you and me. All right,
2: let's do this.
3: Okay. We're going to start with song number 1, 1966. We're going to do a few seconds right now.
4: I
2: Mm, I, that's the Beatles. Yes. Uh, only Keep, people. keep
3: singing. What's right, right after? Uh, I look at all uh, the uh, lonely uh, people. Some, it's a name. Agatha Christie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Agatha so Christie. So uh, she <laughs> created well, Potto. You are so clever. Definitely
5: like, was not Agatha <laughs> Christie. Nice, nice try, but no. It's so
2: close. Yeah, it is. I'm positive. <laughs> yeah. Agatha Christie. Right, you, you are positively wrong.
6: David,
3: I think Her-Q-L-Po. he's right. He's Po-L-Po. definitely right. Let's hear it. <laughs>
2: All the people. I know I'm right.
7: I know
3: you
2: are. Positive. Okay, Eleanor Rigby. Right in the church and was buried up. That's alone. a great song.
3: Nobody in 1966, this song took home the Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Pop Vocal Performance for a Male. It was awarded to Paul McCartney. Wow. Right? Yeah. All right. Good okay. one. All was right. close. Agatha Christie, Eleanor Rigby. It's all Rigby. Rigby. <laughs> So you yeah, You make me laugh.
2: I mean, I was only three. I don't remember these two. You're songs. so
3: close. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear the second one. Just a little bit though. You
2: don't preach like the crow. Oh, yeah, I like that song. I know. I don't know. <laughs> Come
3: on, Carl. It's um, the mamas and the papas singing. Yeah. Carl, you and I have sung this song together aloud. Uh,
4: mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: All right, let's hear I hear a voice from hear the heavens. I a voice from above. From I'm the just heavens. humming the
2: melody. I, I know what it of is. Of course
3: you do. Who doesn't? Let's hear it.
2: <laughs> I don't.
1: I know. <laughs> you know the preacher like a crow.
2: Like a troll. He
1: knows I'm going to stay. He knows I'm going
3: to stay. Here it is.
2: California Dream, California California Dream dream. I'm such a winter's day So uh, the song is number
3: 89 in Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time I wouldn't have
2: even known that's the Rolling Stone's isn't that no, it terrible no, of it's, me?
3: it's it's. <laughs> Didn't you say it's the Rolling Stones? No, I did not say that. You just that. said the
2: Rolling Stones. Listen,
3: I'm going to say it again. Oh, Rolling... The, I'm going to start over. Okay. This is the Mamas and the Papas singing California Dreaming. Yeah. And what I said about it was the song was number 89 in Rolling Stones' oh. list of the 500 greatest songs of I you said it was the Rolling all Stones. All <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't sound like the Rolling Stones No, it to doesn't. Me. It's not. Well, Carl, unfortunately, you're not a winner tonight. So I would have
2: not <laughs> gotten the prize.
3: But we will have a... Um, a caller play with us next hour, and again, we will be giving away another pair of tickets to see Foster Boy. Stay tuned for that. Okay.
2: <laughs> Those are good songs, though, Lisa. I know, good. Carl. job. Thanks. All right. Carl. <laughs> we have a text in line 312 981 7200. We love getting your text. Text us all the way till 2 o'clock in the morning because that's when we'll be leaving here. But right now, it's time for the adventures of Maisie, good comedy series, and Southern, who I had the great pleasure of interviewing one time. She was just a delight to talk with and she was telling me all about her movie career and her days um, performing Maisie on the radio series. And uh, the character of Maisie, she was an unemployed entertainer and named Maisie Revere. And this was a spinoff. The radio series was a spinoff of the successful 1939 through 1947 movie series. And Maisie was a beautiful, sad sassy, street-smart American working girl, um, and a very, very funny series and very funny movies, and it began on radio in 1945 over CBS. It was also heard over the run on NBC and Mutual, and we have a funny episode for you now called The Needy Orphanage and Southern Stars from December 14, 1950, Part 1 of The Adventures of Maisie.
6: Hiya, babe. Say, how about? Ouch. Does that answer your question, buddy?
8: The Adventures of Maisie, starring Ann Southern. You all remember Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's famous Maisie pictures. In just a moment, you'll hear Maisie in radio, starring the same glamorous star you all went to see and loved on the screen, Ann Southern. And now here's Ann Southern as Maisie.
6: Yep, I'm Maisie, like the fella just said, Maisie Revere. Just a gal who don't go around looking for trouble trouble wants me, it can come and find me. But the trouble is, it always does. Like today, for instance, I'd answered an ad to work as a governess for some rich family and quit after one day. The reason? Backward child and forward father. I was traveling back home to Brooklyn and stopped under a tree to rest my weary thumb. When across the road, I spied a bunch of kids from the local orphanage peering up wistfully at a billboard, advertising the cops and robbers' picture playing in town. All I had in my name was a couple of bucks, and I hadn't eaten in so long. My stomach was sending poison pen letters to my brain. But Well, what chance does a stomach have against a cops and robbers' picture? <laughs> well, all right, kids, calm down now. Major Revere wants to make a speech. Oh, gosh, Miss Revere. Well, it'll only be a small speech. Donnie. I got to get finished before the prices change. Now look kids, I promised the matron at the orphanage that you'll be back in time for dinner. So you'll only have time to see the picture three times. Oh, Oh, well, okay, okay. Three and a half times. But you younger kids will have to take a nap during the newsreel. Now kids, listen. I have only enough money for myself and 12 half-price tickets. So remember, if the cashier wants to know your age, You're only 11.
9: Yes, Miss Revere. Got you, Miss Revere. Yes, Miss Revere. Oh, you better say you're 11 and a half. You'll never be able to get me into the theater for half price, Maisie. I'm 15 and I shave.
6: Yeah, too bad you didn't this morning. Well, um, look, Teddy, you'd better get under my coat. and, And when I buy the tickets, follow me into the theater. You can't do that, Maisie. I'm back here, remember? Oh, yeah, Bobby. Well, quiet, everybody. We're next in line.
10: Next? How many, please?
6: Um, one adult ticket and twelve children, please.
10: Twelve children? That's right. Who are you, the father?
6: No, silly. He's one of the children.
10: Oh, just a mere tot, huh?
6: Yeah. I'm eleven and a half.
10: Eleven and a half? Why, he's over six feet tall.
6: I know. He eats vitamins.
10: And he needs a shave. He
6: drinks hair tonic, too. He does. At the orphanage, they feed those kids anything. Mm. You see, he's an orphan.
10: Okay, okay, that's one adult ticket, Miss, and uh,
6: uh, twelve half-price tickets.
10: Okay, that'll be four dollars.
6: Oh, well, but but all I've got is three and a half. Mm, you don't want to see the picture?
10: I'm sorry, Miss. Next, please.
6: Well, okay, okay, just just let the kids in i got to be traveling back home while it's still lighting up to see my thumb anyway. Well, gosh, Macy, you ain't going to miss a cops and robbers picture. Well, don't worry, honey. I'll, I'll see it in ten or twenty years. Twelve kid tickets, please.
10: Certainly, miss. That'll be six dollars. Six? Mm-hmm. While you were making up your mind, the prices changed.
6: Oh, well, I'll complain to the management. Let me talk to the manager.
10: <laughs> I'm the manager.
6: Oh, no, who's talking to him? He hates kids.
10: I should I got eight of my own. I'm sorry, miss, but rules is rules.
6: But kids is also kids, and these kids are orphans. They have no family.
10: Hmm, should happen to me. I'm sorry, ladies. six bucks. It ain't my fault that the clock says two. Well,
6: m- maybe your clock is fast.
10: My clock is never fast. Ah. The lady says maybe it is,
5: chum. And who are you? Who, oh, uh, just the heavyweight champ of wrestling? <laughs>
10: Well, as I as I was saying, Miss, my clock is fast. <laughs> Four dollars, please.
6: Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Here's your money. Well, that was awful kind of you, Miss Derry.
5: Oh, forget it, Miss. I'm an orphan myself. You know, when I was born, I was left on a doorstep.
9: Golly! Left on a doorstep? Say, you look familiar. What are you?
5: Maybe he's a bottle of milk. No, a bottle of milk can't talk, and I'm de- I get- Hey, look, Chum. if you get comical with me, I will smack you in the eye so hard that for the rest of your life, you'll see with a limp. <laughs> no offense, men, pal, no offense. This way,
10: kiddies, I'll get you some nice seats down
6: front. And have a good time, kids. Sorry I don't have enough left to buy you all some popcorn. Oh,
5: I'm going in there too, lady. I'll buy them kids popcorn.
6: Oh, but that, but that's ten cents a bag, and, and there are twelve of them. you know how much twelve times ten is?
5: Well, yeah, sure. Twelve times ten, that's uh, twelve to... Hmm. And maybe I better pay with a $5 bill just to make sure, huh?
6: Eh? <laughs> yeah. You know, mister, you're a great guy.
5: Oh, shucks, miss, I can afford it. I make a lot of dough in a wrestling racket.
6: Oh, th- then you're really a champion.
5: The world's champ of Jersey City, miss.
6: Well... <laughs> Well, so long, champ, and thanks again for helping the kids.
5: Anytime, lady, anytime. I feel awful bad about any kid which is born without a mother. Hmm. And if there is something which I can do... I'm... I
6: know, I know. Well, I got to hit the road again, chum. So long now.
5: Hey, you, you've been swell to them kids too, lady. I, I'd like to shake your hand.
6: My ha- hand? Oh, jeez.
5: Bye, miss, uh, miss, uh...
6: uh... Just call me Lefty. So long, friend.
9: Miss
6: Revere. Miss Revere. Oh, what's, what's the matter, Teddy? Didn't you like the picture?
9: I couldn't let you leave without thanking you for well, you know, and wishing you all the luck in the world.
6: Oh, you're sweet, Teddy. <laughs> I could kiss you. Why not? Um, you sure you're only 15? Well, it's <laughs> like a car coming this way. Now, you'll be a good boy. Maybe I'll see you again if I happen to be coming this way again. Well,
9: maybe I'll be seeing you before you know it, Maisie. I'm leaving the orphanage next week when I'm 16 and then
6: heading for New York. New York? Well, what you gonna do there? Get a job. Oh, just like that, huh? Any particular kind of job in mind, mister? Who cares? I can't stand this place anymore. I'm fed up. Oh, well, I know how you feel, honey, but but try to stick it out until you're 18. An orphanage ain't the yummiest place in the world, but it's your home. Not for long it won't
9: be. The orphanage is closing soon. I overheard the head matron talking closing? Yep. But they
6: can't. What'll happen to
9: all those kids? That's not important, is it? Well, it is to me. Too bad you ain't the president of the town charity committee instead of old Professor Pearson.
6: Professor Pearson? Well, who is he? A schmo? Schmo? Yeah, that's a jerk with a Ph.D. What's the matter? No money in the charity fund? Just enough to keep the orphanage running a couple of months. Oh, well, certainly they can raise funds to keep the orphanage open.
9: They are. Raising funds, I mean. Tonight, the town's sponsoring a wrestling bout for charity between Moose Kabelski and Lovely Louie. Admission five bucks a hen. Oh, well, they should coin a fortune. Yeah, only the money ain't going to us. Professor Pearson is a man of letters. Right now, he's at the meeting of the Charities Association in the town hall laying down the law about what literature to buy with the proceeds of tonight's bout.
6: Oh, he is, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm going to be at that meeting, Teddy. Hold my suitcase. But- Oh, you can That orphanage is going to stay open, Teddy. I'll see to that. But you can't sway Professor Pearson, Maisie.
9: He makes the rules here, and he's a person of few words. Well, I'm a person of few words,
6: too, chum, but the few I've got are buttes. <laughs>
2: All right, that's the first portion of The Adventures of Maisie and Southern Starring. More after these words. We have hundreds and hundreds of members of the Classic Radio Club, Lisa. And you know what? A lot of people send me e- emails, uh, sort of testimonials, about how much they like being a member and uh, how much they enjoy the Classic Radio shows being sent to them each month. And those testimonials are at the website. Just go to Club. Dot com. You got your 10 shows for November, right? I sure
3: did. And have you been
2: listening to them? I sure do. Okay, good. And you
3: know it's great because you have a choice of CDs or the digital download. So either way, you're covered.
2: Yeah, check it all out at classicradioclub.com. We'd love you to be a member as well, along with uh, many hundreds of your fellow listeners. And Classic, Roger. Yeah, Roger too. <laughs> Classic Radio Club com. Uh, David Jennings is also a member of the Classic Radio Club. All the
3: cool kids are in the That's club. That's
2: right. All right. When uh, when we come back from news, we will have more of the adventures of Maisie. So stick around. Lisa, I got a question for you. Uh oh. <laughs> Why do pilgrim? This is you know, and Thanksgiving's coming up, so I've got a is couple it? of couple of Thanksgiving uh, jokes for you. Okay. Why do pilgrims' pants always fall down? Do they? I didn't know they did. Because they wear their belt buckles on their hats.
3: Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, they do. Uh,
2: I have a few more. Oh, good. But not right now.
3: (laughs) Oh, okay, I'll wait. Because right
2: now it's time to get back to the adventures of Maisie.
1: Now, well, ladies and gentlemen, that we have been assured by our committee in charge of arrangements that tonight's wrestling bout for dear, dear charity is a complete sell-out, the next matter we have to decide is how to expend the monies. Are there any suggestions?
9: Yes,
11: I think... Charles? Should... Sorry, Father, but I just had a thought.
1: Hmm,
10: beginner's luck. Uh, Professor Pearson, what do you think we should do with the money? Well, I think... Uh, all those in favor, say aye.
1: Please, Charles.
10: Father, you said to put it up to a fast vote. Yes,
1: but not till I make my suggestion. Other members of the committee may have ideas, too.
6: They wouldn't dare, Pop. Everybody knows who runs this town. I object. Hey, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I object.
1: And who are you, miss?
6: I am Maisie Revere, handsome. The handsome? Yeah, I hand some of that money to the orphanage. I say, that's a good one.
1: <laughs> Charles?
6: I really don't get it, Father. Mm, you don't deserve it, but those poor kids at the orphanage do.
1: Uh, <clears throat> uh, friends, in so far as we have decided uh, at my insistence now I mean suggestion that the education of our younger element has been somewhat neglected of late. I uh, believe the only wise course to take is to use the entire proceeds of tonight's wrestling bout to uh, purchase more books for our library. Hurrah! Uh, Miss Revere, if you are not in favor of my suggestion, you don't have to hiss. You might raise your hand and offer a counter-suggestion. Now, uh, have you one? I have.
6: I think the dough should go towards keeping the orphanage going and give those poor kids a chance to grow up until they're old enough to take care of themselves.
1: Uh, yes, uh, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, Uh, You have heard the suggestion of this young, unknown lady who has come here uninvited and stuck her nose into an affair that is no business of hers. Well. Uh, All those in favor of this meddling and extremely flashy young lady's suggestion, Uh. uh, please say aye. Aye. Charles? I
10: uh, I think it's crazy.
1: Uh, (coughs) That's better. Uh, anything else to say, miss? Uh, Plenty.
6: Those kids are helpless and
1: they need a break. They need a break. (laughs) We've given them more than the dear little things deserve. After all, culture is of primary importance. We have to feed people's minds. Well, what's more
6: important, people's minds or kids'
1: stomachs? Uh, uh, (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Hello? Professor Pearson speaking. Hello, Professor.
10: This here is lovely Louie's manager. Louie can't wrestle Moose Kowalski tonight.
1: But he has to. It's for a worthy cause. And the stadium is all sold out.
10: Ah, uh, Professor, I are indeed grieved like anything. But I am afraid that you will have to get yourself another bum to wrestle Moose. Louis has been talking with laryngitis.
1: Oh, but, 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 but he has to wrestle. He, he, he just has to. Laryngitis or no laryngitis.
10: Professor, he can't wrestle without a voice. <sighs> Why, the poor guy can't even grunt a groan above a whisper. And you know yelling like he's being murdered is what made Louis the box office draw,
1: which he is. You will have to cancel about, Professor. I'm sorry. Oh. Is
6: anything wrong, Professor.
1: Everything. I've just been talking to the most despicable person in the world. You mean, Mom? This one is a man. Tonight's bout is cancelled.
6: Oh, you mean we'll have to return the money to the people that bought tickets? Gee, I'm sorry, Pop. Now you
1: won't be able to sell the town those old books you've been wanting to get rid of. Yes, I know. Charles, please be quiet. Oh, I'm desperate.
6: Um, how desperate, Professor.
1: Uh, Just what do you mean, Miss Revere?
6: Well, just suppose... Suppose I came up with a wrestler famous enough to take on Moose Kabelski
1: tonight. You, uh... You know of such a person, Miss Revere? Mm -hmm.
6: I met him this morning at the picture show. He loves kids, especially orphans.
1: Well... Uh, Miss Revere, if you could secure the services of such a person, I uh, I personally can guarantee that a percentage of the proceeds from tonight's bout uh, would go towards maintaining the orphanage. <laughs>
6: uh, how much of a percentage?
1: Uh, how much? Ten uh, percent, uh, uh, roughly.
6: Well, how much smoothened out?
1: Uh, smooth... Uh, yeah. Very Twenty percent.
6: This wrestler loves children a great deal. He does? Mm-hmm.
1: How much?
6: Ninety percent.
1: Oh, he does love them a great deal, doesn't he? Yeah, very well, Miss Vare. Ninety percent goes to the orphanage with the proviso that you live up to your end of the bargain.
6: Oh, you just made yourself a deal, Professor. Oh, um, that'll be fifty cents in advance, please.
1: Fifty cents? you what for?
6: The movies. I gotta get in to get my man out.
5: Hey, Maisie, what's the idea of dragging me out of the picture show and taking me down here?
6: Well, this is your chance. Now swallow your popcorn and sit down. Professor Pearson told me to bring you right here to his office. You like kids, don't you?
5: Yeah, but I like movies, too. You know, especially the ones with some good guys and bad guys. You like in wrestling bouts.
6: Well, you sure struggled when I yanked you out of that theater. How many times did you see the picture, anyway?
5: Four times.
6: Yeah, like you said, you sure like movies. Well, I had to
5: see it four times. I couldn't remember where I came in. Hey, what's this here all about, pray tell? Well, it's your chance to do a good
6: turn for those orphans. You still haven't lost your appetite for homeless kids, have you?
5: Oh, no, no. Kids are terrific, especially orphans. You know, when I get married, I'm going to raise all my kids
1: to be orphans?
6: No. Oh,
1: back so soon, Miss Revere? Is this the, uh, <laughs> gentleman? <laughs>
6: uh-huh. Uh, champ, this is your chance to make good your promise. Will you wrestle tonight so those orphans can live and grow up and have a home while they're doing
5: it? Well, sure, certainly I will. I, I'll, I'll wrestle anybody. I'll, I'll just grab like this and then I'll give my hammer out um, like this um, and well, well, sure, sister, champ,
6: sure. sure. Yeah. Um, now, we're going to need to sign papers, so put the professor down for a minute.
1: Yes, please do.
6: <laughs> now, here's the deal, champ. Tonight, we want you to fight Moose Kobelski.
5: Yeah, sure, sure. I'll grab like this and then I'll take like... I'll, I'll... <laughs> Hey, wait a minute, I, I, I can't wrestle Moose Kabelski. Why not?
6: Well, you're not scared, are you?
5: Nope.
6: Well then why can't you wrestle him?
5: Because I'm Moose Kabelski.
6: Oh fine. Well,
9: hi, Miss Revere. Hi, Teddy. Well, what are you doing way down here at this end of town? I'm just hiding, Teddy. Yeah, but I-, I thought you were going to see Professor
6: Pearson. I did. That's why I'm hiding. Oh, you didn't straighten things out, huh? No. But if the professor finds me, I'll be the one that's straightened out permanently.
9: Well, I'm sorry, Maisie. Anything I can do? Sure. How'd
6: you like to wrestle?
9: Please, Miss Rivera, I hardly know you well enough for
6: that. Oh, skip it, kid. I'm sorry I messed up everything, and I'm afraid I may be seeing you in New York after all. Oh, gosh, that's swell.
9: Oh, and I'll even have the fare to get there, too, if I keep on getting odd jobs like the one I'm on my way to now. Can you imagine getting paid to
6: tear down a spike fence? Huh? Well, here's the ad in the paper. Read it. Oh, wanted. Able-bodied young man to remove six-foot spike fence by two ladies with extra broad beams. Hmm. Hmm. Who sets the type of these things
9: anyway? You see the fence belongs to Miss Carson and Mrs. Johnson. They used to fight like cats and
6: dogs, but now they want to bury the hatchet. Oh, I hope they bury it where Professor Pearson can't find it. Say, Teddy, these two ladies, what do they look like? I don't know. If it wasn't for the makeup, you could take them for wrestlers. Teddy, my boy, you just moved back to that orphanage for keeps. I said something? Yeah, a great, big, wonderful mouthful. Now, look, you run down to Professor Pearson's and tell him not to return the money for the bout tonight. You mean there's going to be one after all? Uh Uh-huh. Between hair-pullin' Carson and fingernails Johnson. Lady wrestlers? Well, the customers want their money's worth. Well, they're going to get it. It's going to be wrestling between two women, one fall, scratch-a-scratch camp.
9: Yeah, but uh, Mrs. Carson and Mrs. Johnson... They won't want to fight each other. They like each
6: other now. Ah, they won't when little Maisie gets through with them. Boy, get going now. Little me has a bit of dirty work to do. Yeah, miss. Uh, hello. Um, are, Are you Mrs. Carson? Yeah, I am. Oh. Well, I'm here to see if you wanted to sell the lumber from that spike fence you advertised you wanted torn down. Um, I I already talked to your neighbor, Mrs. Johnson, about it. Oh, did you? And what did the sweet, wonderful darling have to say? Well, she said she could use the money for a worthy cause. Oh, I'm sure she can. Oh, a sweet girl. Yeah, she wants to buy some more lumber and put up a higher fence so she doesn't have to look into that sloppy kitchen of yours. Well, anything my wonderful neighbor says is all right with the... That sloppy thing dared to call my sloppy kitchen sloppy? Yep, she said it wasn't fit for pigs. That's a lie. You mean it is fit for pigs? I mean, I ought to jam them buck teeth down her throat so far she'd have to chew her food twice. Ah, and she deserves it, too, if you ask me, for saying that you were bow-legged. That liver-lipped horse face said I had bow-legs? Mm-hmm. She said you were so bow-legged, when you went to sleep, you had to get out of bed to turn over. Oh, she did, huh? Well, I'd like to get my hands on that animated floor mop. Oh, well, she said the same thing about you. She dared you to meet her tonight in the ring at the town stadium. Well, I'll be there, don't you worry. And I'll push her head so far down into her body, she'll have to wear open-toed
12: shoes to breathe.
6: Oh. Oh, yes, miss. What can I do for you? Uh, Well, hard to do. It's about that spike fence advertised in the paper. I can use some lumber, and Mrs. Carson said I should talk to Mrs. Johnson about it. Oh, you mean that adorable, sweet, gentle neighbor of mine asked you to discuss price with me? You? Oh, but you couldn't be Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Carson said you had no taste in clothes. Oh, Oh, that dear girl, she always... That slob said I don't know how to dress. Yeah, she said you were so fat. When you put on a strapless evening gown, you looked like you were taking a bath in a rain barrel. Imagine that mountain of lard knocking my shape. Yes, and she said if it wasn't for your Adam's apple, you'd have no shape at all. That does it. I'm going right next door and let that walking beef trust have it right on the chin. Oh, well, Mrs. Carson's in home. Uh, She went to the stadium. They're having a big wrestling bout there, I hope. Oh, she did, huh? Oh, how I'd love to wrestle that two-faced mongoose myself. <laughs> well, it's a funny thing. She said she'd love to wrestle you, too. Oh, she did, huh? Oh, if I didn't have to get my old man's dinner, I'd beat her in that ring. Well, uh, she also said she couldn't see how any man could marry a woman with a face like yours. What? Mm-hmm, she said with that kind of face, you'd never die. You'd just ugly away.
12: Oh that settles it. Wrestle me in the ring, huh? That's fine with me. Just wait till I get in that ring with her. Ooh, I'll tear her into so many little pieces they'll have to pick her up afterwards with a pair of tweezers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: to talk louder, Miss Revere. The crowd is yelling so loud here at the stadium, I I I just can't hear a word that you're saying. Uh, where are you, anyway? Well,
6: I'm talking from a phone booth at a gas station. You well? uh, At a phone booth. Oh. Uh, are the customers satisfied with the bout, Professor? Uh,
1: satisfied? Why, why, they're absolutely wild with excitement. Oh, oh those, those two women are, are just a pile of arms and legs out there in the ring. Gosh, that bloodthirsty. <laughs> well, can't the referee make them fight like ladies? Uh, the referee... Who do you think's at the bottom of the pile? Oh, you you certainly earned that 90% for the orphans, Miss Revere.
6: <laughs> and you make sure they get it, Professor.
1: Well, goodbye now. Uh, uh, don't go, Miss Revere. Uh, why not come down to the stadium and, and witness the bout?
6: Oh, no thanks, Professor. Those two female butchers may compare notes and then there'll really be a brawl. Oh,
1: Oh, I get it. You can't stand seeing blood spilled.
6: (laughs) You ain't kidding, Professor. Especially if it's my blood. Well, from all reports, that bout was out of this world. And if I hung around, I'd probably be too. I was a little ashamed of myself for using the nasty kind of trickery to get those two women steamed up. But it's easier for adults to take a beating than poor defenseless orphans. Maybe we'd all be better off if we'd look into our hearts once in a while instead of our pocketbooks. Oh, oh Here come the two lady wrestlers. And from the looks in their faces, they've compared notes and they're going to forget that they're ladies. Well, get going, feet. This is no time to just stand there and let the rest of me get murdered.
8: You have just heard The Adventures of Maisie, starring Ann Southern. (laughs)
4: <laughs>
8: Mais Z was written by Arthur Phillips. Original music was composed and conducted by Harry Zimmerman. Supporting cast included Frank Nelson, Elvia Allman, Joan Banks, Peter Leeds, Sheldon Leonard, Bob Cole, Tommy Bernard, Jeffrey Silver, and Johnny McGovern. Jack McCoy speaking. <laughs>
2: All right, that's The Adventures of Maisie Good Comedy from December 14, 1950 and Southern, starring as Maisie Revere. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa, we have a brand new website for our listeners. It is uh, the numeral 100, so 100, radioshows.com. 100radioshows.com. And have you gone to the website
3: yet? I sure am. I sure have. And you know what? The funny thing about that? There's actually 700 radio show options on that website, which is phenomenal.
2: Yep. There's 700 digitally remastered classic radio shows waiting for you. And here's how it works. There's seven different collections. And each collection has 100 radio shows, 50 hours of material in each one of those seven collections. And
3: within each collection, you can choose what genre that you are most interested in, like, um,
2: Christmas. There's Christmas. There's a hundred Christmas shows right, in one of the collections. There's a hundred
3: greatest shows. Right. There's a hundred comedies. There's a hundred mysteries. There's a hundred westerns. There's a hundred uh, dramas, right?
2: Yep, and dramas. Right. So those are the seven. And you know what? People are ordering the Christmas ones because mm-hmm. Christmas is coming up and you'll have 50 hours of Christmas shows. Can you listen to 50 hours of Christmas shows between now and Christmas? You should be able so, to. so, for sure. Yeah, but there's all kinds of great stuff there. All digital downloads, so it gets to you immediately. The links never expire. You can listen to them on any listening device. And I'm telling you, the sound quality of these 700 episodes are like high fidelity. Mike spent a lot of time digitally, it was months and months, digitally remastering every single show. So go to the number 100, 100, radio shows. Com and check out our new website. In our next hour, Fort Laramie. Raymond Burr stars in A Good Western Adventure. You won't want to miss that. Then after that, it's Somebody Knows. All right, seven minutes after midnight here on the WGN Radio Theater, Hour 2. Thanks for staying up late with us. In this hour, it is Fort Laramie starring Raymond Burr. Good Western drama from 1956. But time now to play our game Cat's Pride. Guess that song.
3: Yes, hopefully you'll do a better job with this set Agatha of songs.
2: Christie. <laughs> Eleanor
3: Rigby. He says Ad- she I'm still created laughing. created Hercule Poirot. All right, well, we'll move on. We're going to stick And with,
2: you know...
3: We're going to stick with 1966. It doesn't get more prevalent than the Beatles, but okay. Um, we've got two great songs. I think that you're going to like the first song and the second one, not so much. But we'll go from second there.
2: Second song must be romantic ballad. It
3: must be. We are going to be giving away two tickets to a private screening of a movie called Foster Boy. It's on Thursday, December 12th at Wilmette Theater. I will be there. Give us a call. Uh, We're looking for caller number three at 312-981-7200. Call right now. We'll be right back. Guess that song. We're going to do that. We have Paul on the phone to play the game with us. Hey, Paul.
2: Hey, how's it going?
3: I'm great. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, thanks.
3: It's terrific. We've got Paul.
2: Hello. All we right. have 1966
3: I got songs. Salvador,
2: Rigby one, but I didn't get
4: California Dreaming. So yeah, there All you right. go. All right. Well, 5050. Carl get is an excellent
3: them. lifeline. Clearly, he's a big help here for 1966 <laughs> music. But I have a feeling that you guys should know these. So All I right. have a really good feeling.
2: Paul and I'll get it. You
3: guys work together. Yeah, let's absolutely.
2: hear.
3: All right. Let's hear a few seconds of the first one.
2: Yeah, gone. I remember my- I got that one. All right, but Paul. Paul knows it. You can't hurry, love. That's that right. Carl, at- <laughs> who's doing the segment? Thank
3: you. That is right. Thank you, though, Carl. Um, and you know who sings that? You don't have to. I'm just wondering if you know.
2: I hey, love, uh, uh, the Rondells. No, no the you're
3: close. It starts with the, though. You know who it is, Carl. No. All right, it's the Supremes. Oh, Let's listen. yeah, that's so good. That's right, you got it. Very catchy tune, right? Now, this was based on a gospel song entitled "You Can't Hurry God." Did you know that? No. It changed things up a little bit. <laughs>
2: he doesn't. He's not going to hurry up if you ask him to hurry up. <laughs> that's
3: right. God
2: you can, is. Uh, you can't all... hurry. Oh, on what? his own time frame. You can't
3: hurry God or love. That's now right. we know. Yeah. All right. This is going gonna...
2: to. Cannot... That and your wife in the bathroom getting rid
4: That's of you true. You are Boy, absolutely right kidding. about
3: that one. <laughs> All right. Let's yeah. hear a little bit of the second song right now.
4: Turn back on
11: You
3: know that one, Paul?
11: When a man loves a woman.
3: Thank you. That is right. Carl's already <laughs> rolling his eyes. This is by Percy Sledge. Let's hear it. Carl.
4: <laughs>
3: Here it comes. Carl, I didn't think you could say the words.
2: <laughs> yeah. no, that's a good song. I like this song. This is
3: a great song. This yeah. is a very popular wedding song, very by the way. Song. Not that like you would it. know. Uh, this is a number one. I went U- to
2: one wedding once. <laughs>
3: yeah, I know. It was a while <laughs> back. This is a number one U.S. hit for Michael Bolton in 1991. I was awake for it. And Bette Midler's version was the 35, number 35 in 1980. Yeah. So here's the great okay. part about this, Paul. Uh, you have won a pair of tickets for a private screening of Foster Boy. It's a new movie. It's written by a Chicago attorney named J. Paul Derritani, and it's produced by Shaquille O'Neal, partially filmed here in Chicago. The film stars Matthew Modine and Academy Award winner Louis Gossett, Jr., and um, it's based on several of his legal cases, which involve the corrupt for-profit foster care system. The screening is on Thursday evening, December 12th, and is at Wilmette Theater. It benefits Families Helping Families, Chicagoland, which supports local families and foster children who are in need or crisis. I will be at a screening. I hope to see you there, Paul. For anybody else who'd like to go, ticket sales are $20, goes directly to a charity. The movie begins at 7, Wilmette Theater. And um, if you'd like more information, let me know. We hope that you guys will check that out. It's sounds like a really um, exciting night. And Paul I got both
2: of them. Great job, Paul. Yeah,
3: terrific right. job. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank Way you, to go, everybody.
2: buddy. Have a great evening. You Thanks. too. you too. He knew it. He knew it. Alright, our text in line, 312-981-7200. We will be here until 1 o'clock in the morning. We'll be here right? till 2. Oh, 2 o'clock. You can
3: <laughs> stay till really. 1. What? I will be here I, till I 2. had to think
2: about that for a second. It's well, till 2, right? It's till 2. I feel like we've been here a long time.
3: I was going to say, it feels <laughs> like we've been here for hours Gosh. but maybe because All we right, have
2: another thanksgiving <laughs> quick joke for you okay. here. Okay. All right, so uh if pilgrims were alive today, Lisa, what would they be known for? Pilgrims were alive today. What would they be known for? I don't for?
3: know, Carla. What would they be known well, for? Well, if
2: pilgrims were alive today, they'd be known for their age.
3: Oh. That's good. <laughs> like that one.
2: Uh, yeah, I can hear
3: everybody laughing out there. I, I hear all the laughter.
2: Um, and so you're still cooking. They haven't talked you out of cooking for Thanksgiving?
3: Oh, I'm cooking, and She's everybody's cooking. excited about it. Ooh,
2: all right. Yeah. All righty. Are you ready for Fort Laramie? Don't yes, Western sir, came to I CBS am. Radio in 1956. Raymond Burr starred as Captain Lee Quince of the U.S. Cavalry. Was produced by. Gunsmoke's Norman McDonald depicted the life at Fort Laramie in the mid-1800s. Now, the fort itself, Lisa, you may not know this, was located across the North Platte River from the town of Laramie at the mouth of the Laramie River. And on this show, there was all kinds of great regular uh, guest stars. Vic Perrin, Harry Bartell, Howard McNear, Sam Edwards, John Daner. These were the same people that were in... Gunsmoke, you know the supporting players for Gunsmoke. So terrific terrific series Raymond Burr stars. This uh, broadcast is from May 27, 1956. It's called The Sergeant's Baby, part 1 now of Fort Laramie.
8: At the gallop! Ho! Oh!
12: I never seen the sense of it. Scrubbing day after day, putting clean clothes on the dirty army. It's a way to earn a keep. Every woman marries a man earns a keep. Night and day, it's all earning. Not today, Is. Don't start on that talk again today. Now I plumb forgot about your delicate condition, Stella Merchant. I need be minding my manners more. It's just I ain't used to running into royalty on Soapside's Row. Honest, I ain't. I didn't mean to start you off, Es. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, are you? Well, you're sorry-looking, I'll say that for you. <laughs> Another day or two and you won't be able to stand in the same room with your washbowl. All right, Es, all right. It is a wash tub now, oh, Yar. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't you just be quiet? Think what you will. But keep it to yourself. Uh, Enjoying yourself, ladies? Having a fine social hour, are you? Oh, Fanny, it's her. Look at her. Can you tell by looking she's a regular queen? I'm doing the best I can. If you'd let me be. If you wouldn't go at me so much. Now, listen to me, Stella Merchant. And hear what I say. Fanny, don't. Don't shake me. I'll do what need be. You're not earning your pay. Now you get some elbow grease behind that scrubbing or I'll send you packing. With no pay for the month. You wouldn't do that, Fanny. We need the money with the baby coming. We need every cent, Fanny. Then earn it. Scrub. That's the way you get money around here. Please, Fanny. Please. No, She's going. white, Fanny? Nah. Uh, ninny. If I could just get some air... Just a little air? Well, now, a little air. Well, that's what you'll have, Fanny. Right before our eyes, you don't get her out of here. All right, Stella. Grab a hold one side of this clothes basket. You'll get all the air you need hanging clothes outside. I said grab a hold. All right. Not quite so fast, Fanny. Yeah, you're moving like coal molasses now. Carry your weight, Stella oh. yeah. Pity they ain't some nice shade trees for you Maybe a hammock Ain't you the shape for a hammock, though? Oh, maybe I shouldn't try I thought I could work right up to the very day the baby came Other women do You ain't other women You've no cause to talk to me like you do, Fanny. You and S. I I never give you cause. You never give me nothing but an awful bellyache. Combing and bathing and making pretty for the men. For my man, Fanny. That's it, is it? You're so full of lying sweet talk you believe yourself. I thought we could all be friends. Out here, It's far from home, all of us. I thought we could help each other. You're along on help, ain't you? Everybody help. Everybody be happy. Well, you be happy, Stella. Like you're so willing to tell. Anything to be near Billy. Happy to earn your keep washing filth. Happy to bear his and Happy, happy, happy. I love Billy, Fanny. Love. Ha. You don't understand. You really don't understand. I never realized that till now. It's the young as don't understand. Did you never love Luke? Even then? When you were young? Did you never love him, Fanny? Hang the clothes. It would be awful if you didn't love. You'll get no pay for John and taking the air like you are. You keep saying you need the money, we'll earn it. I will, Fanny. I will earn it. I'm glad to. And see you keep that glad stuff to yourself. You and your love and the life you feel kicking in you. I've buried more young'uns than you'll ever have. I'm sorry. Truly sorry, Fanny. (gasps) Don't you never be sorry for me.
7: We followed the Laramie all the way till it cut through the range there. We left it and went cross-country west and north to a point about here. It's almost to Medicine Bow River. I think they're main camps on the Medicine Bow. But you ran into other camps along the way? Mm Mm-hmm. Old camps, Major. Yeah, the information you got from the settlers in the area pointed that. No Cheyenne in their vicinity since last fall. Isn't that the word? And no army patrols since last fall. That follows to me. It does. The settlers have spent the winter in peace since the Cheyenne ran off their horses last fall. The cavalry sends out one small patrol in the late spring, and the Cheyenne mysteriously reappear, but not in numbers. All right. Cheyenne scouts, eight of them. You could have killed them at any time you were following them. And just about. Only they were leading us, Major. There's a difference. Only because you were willing to be led. It was our business, reconnaissance. You don't kill eight scouts who are leading you into a trap. Hmm. Of course you don't, if you're sure it's a trap. Look, for two days, if we didn't keep pace with them, they waited for us. morning of the third day, they cut off into a canyon that leads straight to the medicine bowl like we were leading a charge behind them. I know an ambush when I see one. And you don't ride into them with ten men behind you? I don't ride into them with a company behind me. All right, Captain. I'm... I'm... Uh... I'm sorry, Major. We you rode all night. You rode all night for three nights. I know that, Lee. I want you to get some rest. I'd like to finish my report, sir. It can wait till morning. I don't think so. All right, Lee. Let's get it all said. I don't like it this way, but one of us has to get a good night's sleep. I'll sleep fine, Major. I will, too, once this is over. Now, from your report... You seem convinced the Cheyenne have their main camp on the medicine Bow. I get the impression you think they're getting restless. They'll have to move somewhere. That country had about one winter's good hunting left in it. They've had that. If they haven't raided since fall... You're right. We could stop them before they start. They'll move north, maybe as far north as the Montana Territory. Why not south? Other tribes. Utes, Apaches. The Cheyenne would rather face the white man. I know. You know, you're bleeding me pretty dry, Major. Hmm? How's that? I got a feeling I'm mapping a campaign I'm not going to be part of. You just finished the toughest part of a campaign. A lot of men can lead a charge who can't do successful reconnaissance. Major, I'm Captain. To... You're assigned to quarters till 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Who's going to replace me, Major? I am. I'd be a fool to question that choice. Yes, you would. That's all, Captain. Dismissed. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, Major, who's going to replace you? Me? Yeah. Here as post commander. You are. Any questions? No, sir. No questions.
2: Yes, Raymond Burr right there, Lisa. Uh, Raymond Burr <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> as is Captain Lee Quince on Fort Laramie. And we'll get back to it in just a few minutes. All right, Lisa, it's uh, 12.35 in the morning. It is uh, Sunday morning. And don't forget, when we come back here tonight, we're going to be on at midnight, not at 11. We're going to start an hour later, folks, and we will have an episode of Boston Blackie for you. So don't miss that. But right now, it's the conclusion to Fort Laramie. Can't see
13: by that light, Stella.
12: Fine enough for this little bit of hand-stitching, Billy.
13: Well, best you rest yourself a while. Want Sit in the doorway with me.
12: <laughs> in a while, honey.
13: Well, it's a fine night, Stella. Slice of moon. Nice bit of breeze off the sweet clover.
12: Mm, I can smell it from here. Like home, ain't it, Billy?
13: Well, it is home, Stella. Only one we ever had together. You ever think of it? Maybe some engine in his car setting like we are tonight. Looking out at the stars. Talking about the papoose they're going to have in no time at all.
12: (laughs) Billy Merchant. How you think of things like that?
13: (laughs) They come to me. Don't they come to
12: you? You know they do. It's part of what we have together. You and me. That's not a man thought, is it?
13: (laughs) how you sound like Luke and Joe. Sweet Billy, they call me. It's just because I notice the sky or flower.
12: Don't you mind them, Billy?
13: No, I don't.
12: I don't mind them.
13: Like you don't mind Fanny. Yes.
12: Why do you say it that way?
13: Cause that's the way it is, Stella. Feeling folks like us, we feel too much sometimes. We let folks get to us and rub us wrong, maybe. Maybe hurt us some.
12: I love you.
13: Sure. I said we were feeling folks.
12: Oh, Billy. Billy.
13: When are you gonna have that baby still?
12: Soon, honey. As soon as I can.
13: It's a hard time for you. I know that.
12: Not too hard, Billy.
13: You're fretting some. You got some pain?
12: No, Not real pain. Like a catch, you know. Not often enough to matter.
13: It wouldn't be right to lie to me, honey.
12: I don't lie to you. Ever.
13: (laughs) Just sometimes you don't tell me all the truth, ain't that it?
12: You're feeling folks, too. You ought to know good as me.
13: Yeah. Yeah, I ought
12: You're fretting some Billy merchant. That's who's fretting around here. You no
13: know, man's going to be a father has all the rights. You know, I do say some men take on worse than women, folks. You know that, Stella? Swimmy-headed morning times like that?
12: Mm, that ain't what's troubling you.
13: No. No, it ain't. I sure ain't. How many times I asked you to give up your work at the laundry?
12: You mean how many times today you ask me?
13: Yeah, And always you tell me it's what you gotta do, no matter what.
12: It is, Billy.
13: It's the same with me, Stella. I got my work to do, no matter what.
12: Now, then I ain't asked you to give up being a trooper. I declare, I don't know what B Company would do without you.
13: I ain't drawed nothing but garrison duty for more than a month now. I just ain't gonna last. Billy? On stable detail today. We were sure ready in those mounts for something more than a parade ground, Stella.
12: You got orders to move out?
13: No, ma'am. No, but Captain Quince's patrol come back on the post today. And when Reconnaissance comes back... We just gotta be moving out.
12: Be nice if you're wrong, Billy.
13: We gotta face up to it, Stella. You might just gotta have that baby without me.
12: I sure never planned that way.
13: If it had to be, would you want to try to make it back home? To my ma? Sure.
12: Why, Billy Merchant. That'd take every cent we own and then, so I ain't
13: thinking of that.
12: Well, then you think about it right now. Only don't take the bother. If they was money, they ain't time.
13: Stella, Stella, I, I want to be with you more than anything I could name. But I can't ask the favor of a leave. You understand that?
12: You got your work to do, Billy. No matter what.
7: Come in. Captain Quince, sir. Sergeant. I must have took a wrong turn, sir. I was told to report to the office of the post commander. Close the door, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Now, sit down, Gores. And, Gorse, any time you want to get rid of that stupid grin, you can. Yes, sir. Well, you look powerful big behind that desk. Yeah, too big for the desk. Maybe too small for the job. You'll do what you gotta do, Captain. I was thinking more that we'd do what I gotta do, Gorse. You was? Major Daggett tells me that Sergeant Pearson takes a big load off him sitting at that desk outside. Well, he ain't sitting out there now. He's getting his equipment together, fixing to move out with Major Daggett after Reveille tomorrow morning. Captain Quince... He'll need a good briefing, Sergeant Pearson will. Well, I'd like to volunteer to... Good. That saves me an order, Sergeant. To go with B Company as a special scout. And when you've finished briefing him, he can fill you in on the details of his desk job. One of us ain't listening, Captain. It's a side of the Army we don't know much about, Gorse. Time we did. You being in charge and all, you think you could arrange a quick transfer for us, maybe the infantry? Better find Sergeant Pearson. Tell him all you know. Yes, sir. Now, that'd be my job, wouldn't it? Till we get swinging doors, guess it is. Mm. Lieutenant Syberts, sir. Sergeant. Captain Quin, sir. Oh, come in, Mister Syberts. Your duty begins in an hour, sergeant. Yes, sir. With the Captain's permission, I'd like to offer congratulations, sir. You came here for a briefing, Mister Syberts. I understand that. Sit down. Yes, sir. You familiar with the Horseshoe Creek area? Oh, yes, sir. That map you're using... The The map's wrong. I drew that map, Captain. Then you're wrong. Horseshoe Creek does not feed from the Medicine Bow River. No, sir. From the Little Medicine Bow. Not by 20 miles, Mr. Seibertz. 20 miles of Twisting Canyon through the Laramie Range. That's this line here. Horseshoe Creek is east of the range. Medicine Bow and the Little Medicine Bow are to the west. They do not join. Well, they must have once, sir. It's like a riverbed all through the floor of that canyon. They didn't join last fall when you drew this map. You mean the waters didn't join, the riverbeds did. Mr. Syberts, a cavalry company moves with water. Water points, a course, of travel, a campsite. I know that, sir. Do you? Captain Quince, that's the first country I ever charted, the first map I ever drew. Well? It's not an excuse, sir. Sounds like one, Mr. Seibert's. What I mean... Uh, seeing it was my first real attempt and all, I never thought that we'd be using that map to campaign by. We're not. Mm, that's good. You bet it's good, Mister Syberts. Good and lucky. I pulled this map out of the major's files last night to study it. I spent the rest of the night drawing up a proper map. Here, Mister Syberts. You tear it up. Thank you, Captain. Don't thank me. Remember it. Remember it good, and then forget it. Captain Quince. I've I- already forgotten it, Mister Syberts. <laughs> Can't see him now, merchant. Whatever it is, it's got to wait. Babies don't wait, Sergeant. Trouble here, men? No trouble, Captain. Captain Quince, sir, I'd like to... That's enough, Trooper. Company B's, foreman fours in the parade ground, merchant. Yes, sir,
13: Captain. But what i No buts about it. Captain Quince, I respectfully request permission for an in... Can I please get a hearing from you, sir?
7: Captain, don't conduct no hearings this time of day, Trooper. All right, guys. Let's have it, merchant. And quick. Obliged, sir. Any time now, any little minute, I'm going to have
13: a baby, Captain. Well... Sergeant,
7: my respects to Major Daggett. Tell him Trooper Merchant will be on the parade ground in two minutes.
13: Yes, sir. I met my wife, Captain, Stella. She's having the baby. I'm glad to hear that, Merchant. Now, seeing it's her first, sir, and her being alone, I mean no kinfolk nearby to help or
7: lend a hand. I hope you're not asking me for leave, Trooper. No, 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 sir. I mean to move out with the company. You'll move out with the company. You'll have nothing on your mind but the Cheyenne. I know what you mean, sir. Then all we got to settle is
13: what you mean, merchant. Well, sir, it it pleased me to tell Stella that the post surgeon was on hand to tend after her. And, And the baby, too, when it comes. Well, that... that eased her some, sir. Well? It'd ease me some if you was pleased to tell me I was... Telling Stella all the truth. The post-surgeon's
7: leaving with B Company, Merchant. I see, sir. Your wife in your quarters now? No, sir. No, she's working in the laundry. Well, we're... Uh, we're holding things up, Merchant. Yes, sir. And
13: thanks for hearing me out.
7: Merchant, you know that I... Merchant, women have babies every day.
13: Yes, I'll... I'll sure try to look on it that way, sir. Good luck, Tripper.
12: Look at that, Luke. Never was a man so glad to leave his woman. There's one is glad, right next to him. Joe, beaming and smirking... Quakes on my nerves sometimes, seeing that brother face engine arrows in us. And well, I ain't grieving none myself. Luke's been home a month. Hmm, a good month. Good and long, that's a fact. I know what you're thinking, ass. You sure? You'll be to yourself. All to yourself. That's pure blessing. <laughs> you know it is, Fanny. Oh, they haven't gone yet. I was most afraid they'd be gone. Well, now... Look who's managing a brave little smile. She don't know enough to laugh, s. Hair no mine. I, I don't see Billy. Could you just point out Billy to me? Use your young eyes. No matter you don't see him. He couldn't stand a chance of missing you popping clean into the parade grounds the way you are. Could be your sweet Billy's in trouble. He was late for formation. And he come out of headquarters what? with Captain Quince's so You can't fret me, Fanny. What? Say what you what? will two of you, you can't fret me. Oh. There ain't nobody can fret me no more. There they go.
6: <laughs> Only stir in <laughs> sight they is bands a-playing and flags a-flying and
12: men leaving. Would you, if you see him... Point out, Billy, to me. I declare I can't see him yet. Well, you're not likely to yet. Them's officers up front. Major Daggett and that Lieutenant Cybert. Uh, who's that other and riding atwixt them? Well, I declare that's Major Trucks. Now, you don't see him riding off every day. Wonder who's heading the hospital with him a-going? Who's... Who's Major Trucks? You mean you don't know the post-surgeon when you see him? post Lee? Well, you didn't think he'd stay here to look after you us now, did you? He must not have known. Billy wouldn't have said, if he'd known. Billy? Billy? Don't you worry none now, Billy. Not a worry. Oh, come on, ass! for this turns my stomach good.
7: I'll get the door for you, Captain. You sure this is where she she lives? lives? It's merchants, all right. Turn the bed down, Goss. Yes, sir. Some mite stuffy in here. I'll get that window. And some water gorse. She's limp as a rag. Yes, sir. Just like I found her, Captain, keeled over in her tracks. A little water on her face, maybe it'll brighten her. She's breathing quiet enough. Too quiet, Captain? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Billy. Oh. <sighs> hmm. Billy? She thinks you're her husband, Captain. Hmm. Big mistake. Here, here, ma'am. You uh, drink a little water, you, you come around.
12: I don't know. You No, ma'am. You're in my quarters. And I don't I don't know you.
7: No sense giving her a fright, Captain. I'll just go along. You Captain. leave I... me, Gorse. I'll throw you right in the stockade. Yes, sir. Oh, Thank you. No. now take her hands, of course. Oh, take her hands, hold them. Oh. oh, yes, sir. Oh,
4: I guess you know I'm gonna have a
7: baby. I, oh,
13: I guess you're
7: about oh. as right as you can be, ma'am.
4: Oh. oh.
7: Go ahead, Captain. Go ahead and what? Hit it. Hit it? It's a girl. No matter. You're supposed to hit it one on its Mm. sit-down. That's right. It's the first right move we made. Now, now don't cry, little girl. Don't you cry. You'll wake your ma. Don't worry, Gorse. I don't think her ma would mind...
0: Fort Laramie is produced and directed by Norman McDonald and stars Raymond Burr as Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry, with Vic Perrin as Sergeant Gorse. The script was specially written for Fort Laramie by Kathleen Height, with sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper, musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Featured in the cast were Jack Moyles and Harry Bartell, with Virginia Gregg, Dick Crenna, Helen Klebe, and Ann Morrison.
7: Company, tension! Dismiss!
0: Next week, another transcribed story of the Northwest frontier and the troopers who fought under Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry.
2: All right, that is Fort Laramie. From May 27th, 1956, Sergeant's Baby with Raymond Burr. I hope you enjoyed that. Did you like it, Lisa? I did, but you I. You like I, babies? I. <laughs> Lisa loves babies. love Oh babies. my gosh, does this woman love babies? I, I'm the kind
3: of person that when moms have babies, they run the other way because I just sit and oogle. I'm one of those crazy people that's like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a baby person. That's uh, why I have a I doggy because I can't have any more babies <laughs> along in the tooth for she a baby. She really
2: treats her dog like... A child.
3: Well, he is my child.
2: <laughs> <laughs> really?
3: Really. Oh,
2: all right. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. I guess nobody liked any of my jokes because nobody texted in and said, oh, I'm liking your Thanksgiving jokes, Carl. Well, I just love them. Well, actually
3: love. just the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Here, for example, one person wrote, boy, Carl's on a roll tonight. Um, more crickets than laughs. You know,
2: Okay, so should I just stop telling Thanksgiving no, jokes then? No, go
3: for it. We're doing the Because I just crickets. don't
2: think I could quit cold turkey.
5: I was about to encourage him. I'm sorry. I... Um, I'm keeping my mouth shut,
3: Roger. That's not like you. <laughs>
5: it's okay. Why? Because Carl's he, not un, unlike himself. I, just, Excuse these, me. Whatever. Da, da,
2: da, jokes. You what say. All right. Stick around, hey, Roger. Yeah. What smells? <laughs> what smells the best at Thanksgiving dinner? Well, hopefully everybody uh, that's used underarm deodorant, I would imagine. No, <laughs> Lisa. What <laughs> <laughs> smells the best? At Thanksgiving dinner. I'm glad
3: you liked your own joke, Roger.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not the turkey, because he can't smell. Uh, What smells the best (laughs) at Thanksgiving dinner? Your nose. Oh. Mm.
3: Mm. 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 Follow your nose
2: It always always knows (laughs)
3: knows. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, getting back to the show Anyhow, we are going to play our game Our Cat's Pride, Guess That Song From 1966 And uh, we got a couple of songs We are going to be looking for a caller We're going to look for caller number 4 We will be giving away a certificate For a desktop pre-lit sports themed artificial tree from
2: tree, tree Time, Tree Time, Tree Time.com. Time. Time. Everything, Everything Christmas, Christmas ho ho, Tree, tree Time.com.
3: <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Anyways, <laughs> let's look for caller number four. You can call right now, 312 981 7200. We'll be right back.
1: Guess that song.
3: We have Dean on the phone to play Guess That Song. Hey, Dean. Hi. How are you?
2: I'm pretty
3: good. (laughs) Good. I'm so glad you made it through.
2: Hi, Dean. Hi. How are you? Good. All right. Here we go. We're on
3: 1966. We got a couple of great tunes here. Let's start with the first one. By August, she was named.
2: You
3: know that one? Think so? I wasn't talking Dean, to you. I talking Dean. help.
2: I've heard it, but I just I can't pick do
3: out the name.
2: I can't think of it right now. I know the song, but do you? I just okay. If you're waiting, if kinda, you're
3: waiting for public transportation, and it's not some... a train. What is it?
2: Uh, you waiting for a bus?
3: You're waiting for a bus? You're at the bus stop. Let's hear it.
2: By August, she was my name. Bus stop. Every
9: morning. <laughs> I would <laughs> see her waiting
10: at the stop. Sometimes she'd shop, and she would Gear show top. me what she bought. Well, anyways,
3: this song is Yeah, this song is about a couple who meet one rainy day at a bus stop and then love blooms when they share an umbrella. Carl, romantic, that's a great idea. Right? You should always carry an umbrella.
2: Maybe I'll make a movie about it.
3: That's a great it's so idea. So
2: romantic, right, Dean? All
3: right, you guys were so close. All right. <laughs> right let's try the next
2: one. All right. Ah, uh, yeah, that one I know.
3: Okay, what do you think, Dean?
2: Dean? I don't I don't know it. I I, I barely recognize it but I, don't know uh, it. I think it's get ready here i come
3: You are ready right. oh, okay. to get ready the temptation Let's hear ready, it Get ready cuz here i come No 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 Get ready No let's hear it that's it not- So <laughs> get ready Get ready Here i come I don't think there's a here i come that i remember Get ready Is Yeah right? Maybe Oh, it yeah, is. Here I come. Ready? Because here I come. You are right. Okay, so this was written by Smokey Robinson, who was the main songwriter for The Temptations. Yeah. All right. Good job. All right, Dean. We Dean. did it. We figured one out, You at got least. it, Dean. You are the winner. You have won a certificate for a desktop, pre-lit, sports-themed artificial tree from... Tree, tree Time, time Christmas tree Creations. Time, oh, were you going to sing it? No. Okay, great. Visit treetime.com or their showroom on Pepper Road in Lake Barrington. Pepper Road! In Lake Barrington for the most spectacular selection of Christmas gifts. Oh, sorry. Christmas trees, lights, and ornaments you can't find anywhere else. I don't know why I said gifts. Anyways, you are a big winner. Congratulations. And thank, thank you so you. much for calling and Way playing go, the game. Way to go,
2: Dean. Way to go, buddy. Okay. You're a big winner. All right, thank you. Okay, you ready, Lisa? I'm ready, Carl. Somebody Knows. That's That's the name of this show. It was a summer replacement for Suspense in 1950. It only ran eight episodes. did not come back the next season, although the eight episodes, I have all eight of them, It is a fantastic series. It was based on the notion that there are no perfect crimes, that someone somewhere could have that one missing clue that would solve a celebrated murder case. Great idea for a show. The producers would pay $5,000 to a listener who could send in a clue to solve the dramatized crime case it was an actual case so these were true crime cases they were unsolved and they were hoping that a listener out there somewhere in radio land could solve the crime send in a clue win five thousand dollars now, one of the cases included the murder of Elizabeth Short. Do you know who that is? That was the victim in the notorious Black Dahlia case. There was even a couple of movies about the Black Dahlia. And this series uh, had L.A.'s best supporting actors, Harry Bartell, William Conrad, Ben Wright. This particular episode is called The Unsolved Murder of Jean Croyle Long. It was broadcast May twenty fifth, 1944. Here is part one now of Somebody Knows.
14: Ladies and gentlemen, a $5,000 reward will be offered each week on the program immediately following this announcement.
15: You out there, you who think you've committed the perfect crime, the perfect murder, that there are no clues, no witnesses, that your identity is unknown, listen, Somebody know. Yes. You, wherever you may be, no matter where you're hiding. Somewhere, sometime, someone listening to this program is going to bring you to justice.
0: Yes. Somebody know.
14: Columbia Broadcasting System presents Somebody Knows, a program conceived in the public interest dedicated to aiding the forces of law and order in the solution of this nation's unsolved crimes.
15: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to recreate for you tonight all the known facts in an actual unsolved murder. Somewhere, someone among you has had contact with the killer or killers. Someone whose identity need never be known has seen evidence or possesses information that can lead to the solution of this crime. In the public interest, the
14: Columbia Broadcasting System offers $5,000 reward for evidence or information leading to the arrest and conviction of the killer in this unsolved murder.
15: We ask you then to please listen carefully, or you may be the one to win this reward.
10: Somebody
15: knows. It may be you. And now we open the files on one of this nation's unsolved murders. It's homicide file number 3867 of the Detroit, Michigan Police Department. The unsolved murder of Mrs. Jean Long.
11: Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie the time down is 8 p.m. Thursday,
15: May 25th, 1944. In the <laughs> chapel of the Roy Rex Road Funeral Home, 2721 West Grand Boulevard, Detroit, Michigan, where a silver-gray coffin lies banked with flowers, the Reverend Newell C. Leesimer, pastor of the 12th Street Evangelical Church, is officiating at memorial services for Mrs. Jean Long.
11: mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
15: At the conclusion of the services, Mr. and Mrs. Robert L. Croyle, the parents of Mrs. Jean Long, sit hand in hand, dazed and bewildered in their grief.
16: Jean Jean was such a good girl. A good girl. She'd been a hard worker for the church for 18 years. Why did this happen to her? Why? Why?
15: (laughs) Let us see if it's possible to obtain an answer to Mrs. Croyle's question. Let us examine some of the more pertinent facts regarding the life and death of Jean Croyle Long. For 17 years, Jean Long lived a quiet, peaceful life in Detroit, working during the day, contributing in her spare time to the 12th Street Evangelical Church. The only rift in her peaceful life was the failure of her marriage to Kenneth Long. For on Sunday, September 26, 1943, she made a final entry in the diary she'd been keeping.
16: This is the end of our marriage. He left home for good.
15: It is now Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944. The time is 8 o'clock in the evening. In the parsonage of the 12th Street Evangelical Church, the Reverend Newell C. Leesimer, pastor, is dictating letters Brother to be Newell sent Newell's to the Lord members Lord, of his congregation Lord, Lord, Lord. who are in the service.
11: Everyone has been putting his Gene Long is cutting the typewriter's stencils the on them as it he talks. He's in aiding and the war work. But never for one moment are you out of our thoughts or our prayers. May the good Lord bless you and keep you safe from harm. Well, I guess that does it, Jean.
16: They're wonderful letters, Reverend. Shall I enclose the church news bulletin with these?
11: Yes, yes, if you don't mind. Sorry I can't stay and help you, but Mrs. Leesimer and I have a few calls to make.
16: Oh, that's all right. It'll only... Oh, say, I thought of a poem by Whittier the other day. I thought it might be nice to include in the bulletin.
11: Oh? Uh, Which is it?
16: The one that goes, I know not what the future hath of marvel or surprise, assured alone that life and death, his mercy underlies. Mm -hmm. I know not where his islands lift their fronded palms in air. I only know I cannot drift beyond his love and care.
11: Include it by all means, Jean. I'm sure its message will have great meaning for those who are facing possible death.
16: Yes, I know it has great meaning for me. Well, I'll run over to the church office and get started on this right away. The letters will be waiting for you in the morning. Good night.
11: Good night, Jean.
15: approximately 8.55 p.m. Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944. Alex Simpson, a friend of Mrs. Jean Long, approaches the Davison Street door of the 12th Street Evangelical Church.
7: Gene, are you in here?
15: He goes down into the basement of the church where the office is located.
7: Gene? Are you down here, Gene?
15: 9:30 p.m. In the apartment of Mr. and Mrs. Robert Croyle on Oakman Boulevard, the telephone rings.
16: Hello.
11: Hello. Is Jean home?
16: Jean? Why no? Uh,
11: this is Alex Simpson, Mrs. Croyle.
16: Oh yes, Mr. Simpson. How are you?
11: Fine, thanks.
15: Uh, say, I had a date with Jean for tonight, Mrs. Croyle. I was going to pick her up at the corner of Twelfth and Davidson
11: at nine o'clock, but she wasn't there when I drove by.
16: Well, why don't you go into the church?
11: I did, but uh, she wasn't there either, so I, I called you up. I thought she might have come home.
16: What? why no she she hasn't come home.
11: Oh, I
15: see. Well, I'm sure there's nothing to worry about. She probably forgot about our date and is on our way home now. Uh, sorry I troubled you. Good night, Mrs. Croft.
16: Yes.
12: Good night, Mr. Simpson.
15: It is now approximately 11.30 p.m. Mr. Leesimer stands in the doorway of the parsonage after saying goodnight to a guest. He notices that a light
11: is burning in the basement office of the church. Now, that's strange. Either Jean's working very late or I'd better check on her. Jean? Jean, are you still here? Jean, are you still working? Jean? Oh well, she must have just left and forgot to turn the lights on. Uh... Jean?
15: Now a few minutes past midnight, Wednesday morning, May twenty fourth, nineteen forty four, on the sixth floor of police headquarters at thirteen hundred Bobion Street in Detroit, Michigan, a call comes into the headquarters switchboard. Police
11: department.
16: Hello, hello.
11: Police department.
16: You, you, you've got to find her for me. You've got to find her.
11: What is it, ma'am? Is someone missing?
16: Yes, yes. It's my daughter, Jean. Jean Long. She hasn't come home. No one knows where she's gone. Oh, you've got to do something. She's disappeared.
15: It is now about nine in the morning. Wednesday, May 24th, 1944. Reverend Leesomer leaves his study and starts toward
11: the side door of the parsonage.
3: Noel, are you going over to the church?
11: Oh, yes, dear. I want to pick up those letters that Jean got ready for me last night.
12: While you're there, you'd better look at the flowers on the altar. The choir's going to meet tonight.
11: Yes, that's right. Those flowers are probably drooping by now. I'll take care of them. Better take care of them first. <gasps> no. Oh no. Oh no. Hello? Bill. Bill, this is Newell. Can can you come over to the church right away? Yes, something terrible has happened. Jean Long is dead.
2: All right, that's the first portion of Somebody Knows uh, with the unsolved murder of Jean Croyle Long. We'll get back to it in just a few minutes. All right, Lisa, I've got another uh, Thanksgiving joke for you here. Oh, good. I'll have more next week because we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving Oh,
3: yeah! I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm sure you can't wait. <laughs> no, Thanksgiving, yes. <laughs> so
2: what was the turkey suspected of?
3: What was the turkey suspected of?
2: Foul play.
3: Oh, I I should have actually known that because we've talked, we've used the foul play joke. It's just in a different way. (laughs) You got one more?
2: No. Oh, that's
3: it? Darn.
2: Don't encourage. Darn. That's it. (laughs) I mean, you know, I've I've, I've got my standard uh, what's in the middle of a a shebang donut. Oh,
3: well, that one I already know. The whole shebang. Shebang, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you I know, knew that one. But that's well,
2: not really Thanksgiving. No, it's to no. Well, yeah. I'm going to have donuts on Thanksgiving. You are? Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, At your yeah. house? Yeah. I'm going to have... Like Dunkin' Donuts? Sure. Why not?
3: I don't know. It's, why, just it's not one, Thanksgiving. one of the things. You, you don't like, use,
2: like, like, use it like for stuffing? Like
3: pumpkin pie or something, maybe? I
2: love pumpkin pie. You see? I'm not oh, a fan. gosh. I love it. I'll, I'll get it
3: for everyone else. I'm
2: kind of a dessert guy. I like dessert.
3: I didn't notice that.
2: You know? It's like... You know it's like yeah, I was recently di- uh you know this Roger I was recently uh, diagnosed with uh, with t- Roger Yeah what? With what? I was what? recently with diagnosed with with TB. Yeah. Two bellies. Oh boy. <laughs> uh we love you carl you know we love you
3: you know all those people with tb don't think that's well
2: i have it two bellies (laughs) he's got two bellies better than
3: tuberculosis yeah that's true i think they cured
2: that though they
3: they can't have eradicated it because they still give you tb tests when you work in schools and that's true in public i'm trying to
2: i'm uh, not making light of tuberculosis i didn't
3: think so i'm just saying
2: i have tb Two bellies.
3: I don't, I understand. Okay. Okay. I get it. Okay.
2: All right. So, uh, you, are you getting into this, uh, somebody knows broadcast? Yeah, here? I really like the right? premise of this. Yeah. There's only eight episodes. I have all eight of them. Yeah. So if you so like this. this one. Yeah. I'll let play. us know
3: if you like it. We can do it. Yeah. Play let more. us know,
2: folks. Uh, let us know. All right. Here is the conclusion now to somebody knows. The Reverend Leeshamer's call has been to Mr. William A.
15: Hammond. Vice President of the Board of Trustees of the 12th Street Evangelical Church. It takes Mr. Hammond about five minutes to arrive at the parsonage, and Mr. Elisa Murr leads him immediately into the nave of the church and down the middle aisle.
7: You're sure she's Jean Long? Those are uh, her
0: clothes, Bill. What's that paper covering her face?
4: Hmm?
11: I know not what the future hath of marvel or surprise... Oh, dear. ...assured alone that life and death his mercy underlie. I know not where his islands lift the fronded palms in air. What? I only know I cannot drift beyond his love and care. What is it, No? A poem by Whittier. Jean wanted to... That must be the church news bulletin lying across her face... Did you place it there? No. We'd better call the police. The police department. My name is Newell C. Leesimer. I'm pastor of the Twelfth Street Evangelical Church at the northeast corner of Twelfth and Davison.
7: Yes, Mr. Leesimer?
11: I, I I want to report the death of my secretary. I I believe she may have been murdered.
7: Where is she, Mr. Leesmer?
11: Uh, in the church, uh, the
0: nave. She's... We'll have some men out there right away. Don't touch anything just then. Stand... The emergency board
15: operator immediately relays the information across the sixth floor of police headquarters to the operator of the West Side radio station, KQA 371. And the operator sets in motion the speedy, precise machinery of the Detroit police force. Within a few minutes, Chief of Detectives Paul H. Wenzel, Senior Inspector of Detectives Edward Graff, Detective Inspector John Whitman, commanding the Homicide Squad, arrive at the scene. The investigation into the death of Gene Long begins. The initial homicide report is made by Detective Lieutenant Harry W. O'Brien of the Homicide Squad. Contains in part the following information.
1: Upon arriving at the church, we found the body of Mrs. Gene Long, 40 years old of 3625 Oakman Boulevard, lying in the nave. Her clothing had been disarranged, and she had been stabbed three times in the chest. The left side of her face was badly swollen, and three teeth had been dislodged, and her body was covered with blood. Her wristwatch, with the band broken, which was found near the body,
15: had run down at 8.34 o'clock. Coroner's investigator, Tony Saputi responds to a call to the coroner's office, and removes the body to the Wayne County morgue. Post-mortem examination is begun by Dr. Paul A. Kleba, Wayne County Medical Examiner, and Dr. Donald H. Comp, pathologist. The cause of death: internal hemorrhage following penetrating puncture wound to the aorta. There is no evidence of criminal assault. A search is conducted for the missing murder weapon. It is believed at first that the murder was committed with some sort of pocket knife. Then in the small kitchen, adjoining the basement office.
7: Uh,
1: Say, Inspector, mind taking a look at this? Here in this drawer. The lab men have finished the checking for prints, and I think we might check for a couple of more things.
11: Hmm, a paring knife. Yeah, it
1: looks clean all right, but it's got about a
0: four-inch blade. It's strong enough to make the wounds we saw. Okay, I'll have Lieutenant Payne check for blood
15: reactions. Fine. Report from Detective Lieutenant James Payne, head of the Police Scientific Laboratory, states:
7: We've obtained positive blood reactions on the peering knife. Blood reactions were also obtained in the kitchen sink and in the trap under the sink. There would seem to be little doubt that this was the weapon used in the killing of Gene Long.
15: the most important clues in the case is found lying on the floor about four feet from the body. It is a portion of a man's fingernail. It is about a quarter of an inch long and about nine-sixteenths of an inch in width. The portion of fingernail is examined by Dr. Comp, the pathologist.
0: And he reports, The uh, nail is from the thumb, middle, or ring finger of a man's hand. Uh, It's my opinion that this man is not a day laborer as the nail is fairly well groomed. The nail uh, contains pieces of flesh and blood was evidently torn away violently during the struggle preceding Mrs. Long's death.
15: Meanwhile, an intensive and exhaustive investigation is made in an attempt to uncover some clue as to the identity of Mrs. Long's killer. To determine some motive for her death, The entire church membership, her friends, relatives, acquaintances are questioned. The results are negative. However, from the thorough examination made at the scene of the crime, a number of facts are determined. A number of deductions are made. Now here are those facts, those deductions, as expressed by Detective Lieutenant Lane.
5: The crime took place somewhere between the hours of 8 and 9 o'clock in the evening. No struggle took place in the office. Mrs. Long's work had not been completed. The counter on the mimeograph machine showed only 89 copies of the news bulletins run off. And there were two chairs at the desk and two stacks of envelopes in the process of being filled with the bulletins. As for the church bulletin spread over the dead woman's face, only someone who knew her would have done that because only someone who knew his victim well would have found it so unbearable to look at her dead face.
15: From these facts, these deductions, it is possible to form a theory as to what occurred on the night of Tuesday, May 23, 1944, to make a possible recreation of the murder of Mrs. Jean Long. Now here is our recreation of that crime. It is sometime after 8 o'clock, on the evening of Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944. In the basement office of the 12th Street Evangelical Church, Jean Long is turning out copies of the church news bulletin on the mimeograph machine.
16: Oh, someone must be at the... Who's there? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's you. Come in. You're just in time. I haven't finished my work yet. I'll do you a great big favor and let you help me with it.
15: Jean Long and her visitor go down to the basement office where she's been working.
16: Here, you can help me stuff these envelopes. Take that chair and I'll use this. Make yourself useful now. Mm Mm-hmm.
15: For some time, Jean Long and her visitor work at stuffing the envelopes with the prepared news bulletins. They laugh and
8: talk for a while
15: as they work. Then something happens. The visitor gets to his feet and walks out of the office into the adjoining kitchen. He opens the drawer containing the kitchen utensils, looks down at it for a moment. Then he removes the paring knife with a four-inch blade. He starts to return to the office.
16: You know, we'll never get through here if you keep wandering around like... (laughs) Now, what in the world are you going to do with that paring knife? No, 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 you must be crazy. No!
15: Terrified, Jean Long runs out of the office, her visitor following closely behind. At the top of the stairs, she tries to turn toward the outer door, but he moves in front of her. She turns and runs into the nave of the church. The visitor is right behind her now. She lunges for her, grasping the rear of her dress.
16: No! No, don't! Don't! No, don't! It is now Sunday morning, May twenty-eighth,
15: 1944. Five days after the death of Mrs. Jean Long... Services are being held in the 12th Street Evangelical Church. There's no surreptitious whispering. No eyes are turned toward the center aisle. The aisle down which Jean Long had walked 17 years before to the slow strains of the wedding march. The aisle where Jean Long's body was found.
11: We come today with hearts and minds shocked by the events of the past week. Our minds are perplexed as to what would cause this tragic event to take place. We pray that this grave problem shall be solved and should not be content until justice is met.
15: Now listen carefully, please. Listen, all of you, wherever you may be. We're going to give you a recapitulation of pertinent facts in the unsolved murder of Jean Croyle Long. Better make a note of them.
14: And remember, by following the instructions we shall give you in a moment, you may be the one to earn a $5,000 reward.
15: Now, here are the actual facts in the case. Mrs. Jean Croyle Long, 40 years of age, was stabbed to death at the 12th Street Evangelical Church, 12th Street and Davison Avenue in Detroit, Michigan.
14: The time, somewhere between 8 and 9 o'clock in the evening, Tuesday, May 23rd, 1944.
15: The police believe that the crime was committed by a person whom Mrs. Long knew rather well.
14: The only tangible clue is a portion of a man's fingernail. It was apparently torn away during the struggle preceding Mrs. Long's death. The nail is from the thumb, middle, or ring finger. The nail is fairly well-groomed, indicating that the man was probably not a day laborer.
15: Ladies and gentlemen, if any of you possesses information that may have a bearing on the unsolved murder of Jean Croyle Long, and please don't send guesses or hunches, but only actual authentic information, follow these instructions so that your name and identity need never be made known unless you wish. Now listen carefully.
14: Write your information on a plain sheet of paper. Do not sign your name. Instead, sign it with six numbers, any arrangement of any six numbers then tear off a blank corner of that paper with a ragged edge. Write the same six numbers on that corner and keep it. Mail the rest of the paper with the information to Somebody Knows, Hollywood, California. You need tell no
15: one what you have done. Mail your letter to Somebody Knows, Hollywood, California. And if the information you've supplied leads to the arrest and conviction of the killer of Mrs. Jean Long, we'll announce your signature number on this program. Then, if you don't want your name to be known, go to your lawyer or your doctor, your priest, minister, or rabbi, and have him present the torn corner of the paper to any CBS station. In this way, you do not need to appear in person.
14: If the torn corner matches the original paper containing the information, the $5,000 reward will be yours.
15: Remember, you, wherever you are, you whose name need never be known, may win a reward of $5,000.
14: Next week at this same time, we'll present another true case history of unsolved murder. It's homicide file number DR 295771 from the records of the Los Angeles, California Police Department. The unsolved murder of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia.
15: You out there, you who have murdered in cold blood and think you've gotten away with it, listen. You cannot escape. There is no perfect crime. Remember, you are not unknown.
0: Somebody knows.
14: Tonight's case was written by Sidney Marshall from information in the files of the Detroit, Michigan Police Department. Research was by Maurice Zim. Music was composed and played by Milton Charles. Somebody Knows is a James L. Saffir production in association with CBS by arrangement with the Chicago Sun-Times. It is based on a copyright owned by W.L. Finstead. It was narrated and directed by Jack Johnstone. In order to be eligible for the reward, letters containing actual, authentic information leading to the arrest and conviction of the killer or killers of Mrs. Jean Long must be addressed to Somebody Knows, Hollywood, California, and must be postmarked not later than midnight, September 6th, 1950. Arrest of the guilty person or persons must occur within 90 days of that date, and conviction must be within one year of tonight's broadcast. If more than one person gives the information leading to conviction, our judges will divide the $5,000 reward among them in proportion to the importance the judges attach to the facts supplied. And in this, the decision of our judges will be final. Until next Thursday at the same time, this is John Jacobs saying good night, and
11: remember,
1: Somebody
11: Knows. This is CBS, where you find Arthur Godfrey's daytime program every Monday through Friday on the Columbia Broadcasting System.
2: There's a lot of rules and regulations on that show, you know? you got to tear up a piece of sh- paper, put your... Put, it's like a lot of rules.
3: It's a lot of know? things to remember, but send you know it in what? If
2: somebody else sends it in, too... We, got, gonna...
3: a, we got a lot of text because we yeah. said to let us know, and everybody seems to enjoy this series, so yeah. we're allowed to play more... Dave Plyer is taking over the studio he right about now.
2: He's changing the lights, putting the temperature. put his He put his coat on my chair over here.
3: He's pretty... He's taking over. He's, he's taking over, and the,
2: he's lights changing the lights are going up. Oh, man, that's bright. Oh, boy. So that Somebody Knows broadcast uh, was from August 17, 1950, the Gene Coyle murder case. And, uh, yeah. So Yeah,
3: we got a like lot it. of positive response. Have you heard of a radio show, Dave, called Somebody Knows? Oh,
2: hang on a second, Dave. I have not. That's I number three. Not. Yeah, no, you got it. I heard some bad We're jokes good. on the way in.
3: Oh, yeah. well, those would be of Carl. Of yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: What's in the middle of a shebang donut? You gotta- the whole shebang? You heard that one? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> oh, my Here. God. You got to talk to your
1: writers. You really do.
2: <laughs> you know? Here I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you're there was talk only, to team. you know, there was only eight episodes of this series. Somebody oh, knows. That's interesting. Yeah, it was yeah. a summer replacement for Suspense, and um, hmm. very interesting. So people liked it. Yeah. Want to hear more? Yes, they do. You've heard of uh, the Black Dahlia? You've heard of that murder case? Yes. The Black Dahlia. Yep. That was next week. The following week is the Black Dahlia well, case. Well, maybe
3: next uh, well, soon we'll in the see. near future. we we'll see about well, doing see, that. now let
2: me ask you this: How did you even know this eight-episode series existed? You know? Somebody knows. I'll <laughs> tell you that. No, but it's a good question. Like, yeah. you know, digging up some of this stuff, especially the
1: rarest. Like, you, you could always find it, you know. Yeah, Jack Benny existed, suspense. Sure. Like, how do you, yeah. you know. I know you wrote the book. Well, the, the great book. thing. You wrote the definitive the great, book for the holidays. You know.
2: One of our licensors is CBS. Yeah. CBS Enterprises. And this came from CBS. Ah, so they t- they yeah, they, gotcha. they broadcast it. They own it. And um, eight episodes. That's all there was. We have all eight. And perfect sound. And then that you, you. That's it. Yeah. Their I was like, wow, be- that's interesting. Yeah. Let's play one of Very those. Very cool.